Hi folks, my name is Mike, and uh, I am here to introduce, to reintroduce to you someone a lot of us know and love. Not only were he and his family the founders of Scum of the Earth Seattle, but back in the day, John Swanger was our landlord back in the Tollgate days. And uh, we had some pretty interesting things happen there, a lot of which are chronicled in pure scum. Most of you don't know that John is in the process right now of writing his own book about his life in three parts. The first one is called Point of Conviction, Confessions of a Teenage Bank Robber. Is that what it is? Yeah. We were trying to brainstorm with him. Titles for the second volume. Dave Weatherby's was my favorite. An eight ball of Coke and the New Testament. I think, isn't that what, what he came up with? Something like that. But if you don't know John's story, ask him sometime. Tonight's topic, tonight's hot topic is going to be extremely controversial, but it went very well this morning at Morning Church, let me invite up my good friend and yours, the Reverend John Swanger. Hi. I'm going to sit down. Do I use this one or that one? The other one. I'm going to break this one. Actually, Mike gave me a choice. He said, John, we're doing hot topics. So uh, I want you to preach next week. You can have the choice of of speaking on the church's responsibility to the homeless, or speak on the gift of tongues, your choice. And it seemed like a really simple choice, knowing who I am. And uh, let, me, let me just throw a disclaimer in here right now. You know, I work with the homeless. And so uh, I thought, you know, that would be really precocious and, and wrong of me to, to spend 30, 40 minutes just shamelessly promoting uh, my ministry. And so I thought, to avoid a conflict of interest, I'm going to go with tongues. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the homeless at all. Did I happen to mention that I like puppies? Okay, so when it comes to tongues, I know one thing. The Rolling Stones, they knew a lot about tongues. You know, my grandfather used to make a seed beef tongue. This guy, you guys know Gene Simmons? He made a career out of his tongue. And by the way, I don't know if, he, has any of you ever seen him without makeup? This is him. Oh, oh no, that's, that's Richard Simmons. I'm sorry about that. And then finally, this is, these are called tongue beans. And I would rather have those than beef tongue. But I found all that on the internet. But you know what? We're going to narrow the Google down a little bit here and go with speaking in tongues. I don't know if you know who this guy on the, on, on this side of the, the screen is. That's a guy named John Safran. Anybody ever heard of him? Look him up on the internet. Check out his videos. He, uh, he kind of like goes to the Buddhist monks and asks them questions that they can't, you know, they end up scratching their head. He's like debunking all kinds of religions. He went to the Mormons and he goes, your, your church is falling apart. It's going, well, it's because all of your promotion is to the older people. You need to start 
promoting to the younger people. I wasn't going to tell you this, but this is just funny. And he says, I've put a video together that would help you with marketing. And so he put this video together aimed at the younger people. There was a bunch of guys in white shirts, black pants, backpacks, and them little black name tags. But they were all on like BMX bikes doing tricks and stuff. And it was hilarious. And the Mormon church, the leaders are like looking at it going, I think this is sacrilegious. But I think we need to do it, you know. He, did, he tried to join the KKK, one of the things he did. Um, and he had a hidden camera, and he's sitting there talking to him. And he goes, is it true you guys hate blacks? And he goes, yeah, I hate them too. And what about Jews? And they go, yes, we hate Jews. And he goes, I'll fit in right here. What do I got to do? And they go, it's $35, and you sign here. And he's filling out the papers, and he goes, oh, by the way, I, as a disclaimer, I need to tell you that I am Jewish. Is that going to be a problem? And he goes, but like you, I hate Jews also. I don't live like them. I hate them. And they're like, you got to get out of here. And he goes, why? I'm just like you. So look up John Safran on the Internet and uh, download his videos and, and check them out on YouTube. They're hilarious. Anyway, let's get on with it. I want to read a few scriptures here to start with. Before we get into any discussion, I've got about five or six scriptures I want to go through here real quick. Um, Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Maybe that has something to do with going in the mission field and learning how to speak Japanese. I don't know. Acts 2, 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 19.6 said, When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And then 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. To one there was given the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same spirit to another miraculous powers and another prophecy and to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues and then finally in 1 Corinthians 12:28 through 30 it says and God placed them in the church first of all apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Obviously, the answer to that is no. Some do and some don't. But that's when the fight started happening. What happened was some people got it and some didn't, and the ones that got it started getting puffed up, and the ones that didn't started getting jealous. They got this little fight going. And see, next thing you know, there's a whole room full of people with their hands up in the air doing things like, she came on a Honda. All of them except for this lady right back here. She's like, what did she say? <laughs> then multitudes showed up. They lifted up their hair, hands in the air and they started saying, like, see me tie my bow tie. Except for this guy right back there. He's going, what the hey? Next thing you know, crowds were forming everywhere. They'd lift up their hands in the air and they'd say things like, curious shoes, mysterious sandals. And then this guy back here said, not me, I'm out of here. That's enough for me. Some people were like, way cool, I get this. But there were others like, I still don't understand. But it started separating them. This is the body of Christ, folks. There's people on one side that are saying, I speak in tongues and you don't. The war started. We became a divided people. Somebody stepped in and said, okay, all those that speak in tongues over to this side of the room, them that don't sit over there. And that's when the division happened. We became 
a divided people again. Now, it's time for another disclaimer here. I want to tell you that, like Mike said, I had a shaded past, or some people calls it a, a speckled past, a peppered past. Mine was just like all dark. I, there was no, no good in me. At the time that I became a believer, I was working at a bunch of topless joints in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I rode with a couple of motorcycle gangs. I had four dealers that I supplied Coke to. And in the middle of all this, I found Jesus. Next thing you know, I got bikers mad at me because I was riding with two gangs. And, and like an idiot, what did was it a, like a death wish or something? I'm stealing motorcycles from both gangs and selling them to each other. How dumb is that, you know? To the young people here, I don't recommend that, okay? And then I got my supplier who I've told instantly when I found Jesus, I told him, I'm not buying any more product. And I told my dealers, I'm not supplying you anymore. And they're all mad at me because I won't tell the dealers who my supplier is. And my supplier is mad because he's going, well, tell me who your dealers are. And I'm going, I'm not going to go there. But at that point, the only thing that was important to me was Jesus. And when Mike was talking about the name of the second book, uh, an eight ball in, in the New Testament, the guy that led me to the Lord, he spent an afternoon talking to me when I'm in the middle of all of this. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I'd like to go home and snort some Coke and read the Bible. And he said, let me get you a Bible. And I said, aren't you going to tell me how cocaine's a sin? I'm going to go to hell. He said, that's not my job. It's my job to introduce you to Jesus. It's his job to change your life. So I got on the motorcycle and I headed home. And I pulled out the mirror and I started drawing lines and snorting Coke and reading. And by 6 in the morning, I'd done 3 grams of Coke, which is not as an 8 ball. I'm not that bad. 3 grams of Coke and I'd read the New Testament. And I had to come to meet Jesus' moment. And I came to know Jesus. That night was a Wednesday night. And we went to the Wednesday night service at this uh, Holy Ghost Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Kind of, there it is. That's not really it. Any of you ever heard of Kenneth Hagin? The name it and claim it pastor. It's a great big church at a school called Rama Bible Training Center. It's the, um, it's the charismatic Mecca in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Don't blame me for tongues. It just happens to be the church I went into. But we're sitting up at the top row, and I'm sitting up there with leathers on, with chains hanging off of me, hair down to my butt, and a big beard, and a buck knife hanging off of my side. And right then, nothing in the world mattered to me except Jesus. All I wanted was Jesus. This thought kept coming into my head. I don't want the chicken soup. I want the whole chicken. If it has to do with the Holy Spirit and Jesus, I want it. So Jack hands me a note in this great big church that says, you've already had a change in your heart. You need to go forward and make your public profession of faith. So I got up and started to go, and he grabbed me, and he goes, wait till they make an altar call. So I sit down, and finally they gave an altar call, and I kind of ran down there. And I'm standing in this line of like 15 of us, all lined up, and Kenneth Hagin is laying hands on each one and praying. And I'm watching, and he comes to the one right next to me, and he prays for her, and he turns around and glances at me, kind of taps me on the shoulder and walks off. And I'm pissed, uh, upset. Any Presbyterians in here? I was annoyed slightly. I go, hey, I want what you gave them. And he turned around and looked, and he said, son, they came to get what you got. And I didn't know what he meant, but just then he said, we're going to send you guys to the upper room. He pointed this stairs that went up. And he goes, guys are going to go with you, and they're going to lay hands on you and pray with you, and you're going to speak in tongues. And I'm going, what? And, and have you ever heard of a guy named Halverson? He was like chaplain to the Senate for many years. And he's this like 6'3", 200 years old, and weighs about 12 pounds. And he come here, Sonny. You're going, I'm going... I don't know who this old man is, God, but you better get Jack over here. That's the guy that led me to the Lord. Or I'm going to cut somebody. And we're heading up the stairs, and Jack runs up and grabs my arm. And he goes, 
I got this. And he goes, John, trust me, this is in the Bible. And I said, I read something about it last night, but I don't know what it is. And he goes, trust me. And we walked in the room. They lined us up in two lines. The guy in front said, this is going to take a few minutes, but we're going to pair you guys up with... He kept going like this. We're going to pair you up with other people, and we're going to lay hands on you. And as soon as we do like that, you're going to speak in tongues. And when he did that, this started pouring out of me. My disclaimer is that I'm on that side of the room with the with the tongue talkers. And I didn't know what it was. I had never heard of it before reading it in the Bible. I had never heard somebody speak in tongues. So no one can tell me that this was manufactured. The first I ever heard of tongues was when it came out of my mouth. And I got to tell you, I fell down on the floor and started crying because in that instant, what I felt was the shame and guilt. To use a prison term, Jesus took the fall for me. It's like I committed a crime and you went to prison for me. They busted you thinking you was the one that did it and you sitting in prison and I'm sitting free and all the time going, what a schmuck. He went to prison. I'm free. But every now and then you feel sorry for the guy sitting in prison. Right then I felt sorry for everything I'd done in my life because Jesus was paying for my crimes. That's when I got, quote, as the charismatics say, filled with the Holy Spirit. So they divided us in two different sides of the room. I want to tell you some statistics I came up with. First, people who don't speak in tongues. They've, they've done a study and they found out that 60% of the people who don't speak in tongues believe the gifts no longer exist. 33% believe that the gift is still available. And 4% don't know. However, the people who do speak in tongues, 100% of them believe the gift is still available. And 6.23% still don't know. Let me, let me explain why that makes sense. That's because we have some people whom we affectionately call people who are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Like this lady. They're the ones that go crazy. They're the spiritual weirdos. They're the freaks. They're the charismatic people that every time you see them, they say stuff like, glory be to Jesus, hallelujah. You know, the men, the women are like, praise Jesus. Every time they open, they can't open their mouth without praise Jesus being the first words. And glory be. The men are like, they're like, how many different ways can you say hallelujah? It's like, hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. You know, and they're freaks. And you don't want to stand around because everybody will think you're freaks. And, and you go... He speaks in tongues, and, and I do too. But don't you laugh that you got him on your side of the room too. Like this lady. She's like, tongues ain't going to do it. Could it be Satan? We've all got those weirdos. You know, when the war began, and that was like this. Here's the war. This guy's an idiot. No, he's the idiot. I am not. Or two, leave me alone or I'll taunt you with another sign. It's like the people that are speaking in tongues are like puffed up. And it's like, we're better than you. And the people that don't says, you're faking it. There's this big fight that's going on. One of the things they thought about was what they called a second experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like you got salvation and we got the Holy Ghost. We got Savior. And it's like right here. The one side says, we received salvation. We're born again. And then the other side said, we're born again and spirit-filled. Then the first side came back and said, that died 
in 70 AD when, when we got the New Testament. You're faking it. And then the other side said, oh, I love this scripture. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You know, I quoted that scripture for 10 years until somebody said, show me that in the Bible. So I, I flipped through the Bible and I go, oh, it's right here. And two days later, I'm still going, where is that, Raylene? It's in here somewhere. And finally, I realized, you know, if you want somebody to think something scripture, you've got to throw a thee or thou and the ye in it. That word ye, the only reason ye is in there is so it sounds like it's Bible. It's not. So they fought back and forth and kept arguing. And finally, Jesus popped up and he said, chill out, man. Be cool. It's going to be all right. But we didn't listen. Finally, the argument got so loud that preachers, like the preachers on this side, they said, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. People on the other side, if you speak in tongues, you're of the devil. The argument just went on. And next thing you know, the the division between the church kept getting wider and wider. Galatians chapter 5 lists the nine fruit of the Spirit. And verses 23 list the final two, meekness, temperance, against which there is no law. I want to tell you something about temperance, what it means to me. That word is an amazing word. Temperance, I don't know, somewhere in 1920 or something during the prohibition, the church decided that the word, you know, the word temperance means moderation. It means you mix the hot with the cold and you get something warm that's tolerable. If this is too cold, you add a little hot to it. If it's too hot, you add a little cold. You temper the heat with cool. You temper the cool with heat. You temper, uh, uh, you forge, drop forge a wrench by you. It's tempered steel, blue tempered steel. You make it stronger by dipping something hard into something soft like oil and then dropping it on the floor. You got to find a balance. But somehow in the 1920s, they stole the word and decided that temperance means abstain from alcohol. That isn't what it means. It means balance. The root of the word is is in the word balance. To find a balance. I want to give you an example of of when this started becoming important to me. Have you ever heard uh, uh, in all things temperance? That means find a balance. You know, we're walking down this road toward God, and on the ditches are where we get lost. We need to stay on the road. I was talking to a preacher once, a pastor of a church. I was getting ready to speak there. And I walked in. I was there a little early. Music was playing. He said, come into the office. And he said, down. He goes, I just need to know where you stand on certain issues before you speak here. What's your view on healing? And I said, you want to know something? I think there's extremes. Over here on the one extreme is the belief that everything, all sickness and disease comes from the devil. And if you're sick, it's because you're in sin. And he goes, yeah, that's, that's an extreme. I said, there's another belief that on the other side, that all sickness and disease comes from God, and it's there to teach you a life lesson. And if you take medicine to combat it, you're in rebellion to what he's trying to teach you. And he goes, what do you mean extreme? And I'm going, oh. I'm not going to go over well here. You want to know something? Those are extremes. And somewhere in the middle is the balance of what God calls us to with healing. Healing is somewhere in the middle. Is it a little more this way or a little more that? I don't know and I don't care. It's a balance. Avoid the extremes. Occasionally walking down this road, you'll step off on this side or you may step off on that side. But get back on the road. The same thing is true with tongues. This one extreme says, if you pray in tongues, you're of the devil and you're going to hell. Of the other extreme says, if you don't pray in tongues, you're not going to heaven. Those are crazy. If you are part of either one of those camps, come see me and we'll pray. In tongues or in English. We got any Presbyterians here? Guys, you know, have mercy on me. This morning I spoke at Scum Morning Church on this issue, and I'm walking in and I'm praying, I'm getting ready to pray. And right before we sit down, in walks a junior high youth group. 
And I'm going, oh, crap. Already, I haven't even started, and I've got youth leaders that are going, how am I going to explain this to the parents? And then I go, where are you from? And they go, we're from a Presbyterian church. And I'll go, oh. So I think God calls us to balance in all things. And one of those things with balance is, you know, I was a worship leader in a charismatic church for a long time. You know, any of you ever been to a charismatic church? Worship, here's how it goes. Three fast songs, two slow songs, do a bunch of those ooh-la-las, and then we'll play for, pray for Aunt Emma. That's worship in a charismatic church. I was filled with the Spirit. I was a tongue-talking, holy-rolling Jesus freak, you know, pew jumper. And then one day God says, I want you to leave there, and I want you to go to Cherry Hills Community Church, a Presbyterian church. And the first day I sit in the pew, Jim Dixon starts preaching. And he starts preaching about the Holy Spirit. And I'm listening. And he says, you know, and he quoted, I don't know how many scriptures. And, and he basically proved to me in, in that quick that you get the Holy Spirit in his fullness at salvation. And I'm going, oh, this is good. And I'm writing down all those scriptures. And I go home and I go, that is awesome. At salvation, I get all the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, wait a minute. They said that there's a second experience where you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know that happened because it happened to me. But he said, and that makes, and I'm going, they can't both be right. They say you get it all at once. And they say you get... Uh, this uh, salvation and then you get filled with the spirit to where it's more spirit coming into you and, and you start speaking in tongues. And I'm going, this is weird. And I start praying. And just like that, I found the temperance. And God said, what if you get all of the Holy Spirit at salvation? And the second experience is not more Holy Spirit coming in. But what if it's more Holy Spirit coming out of you? is the expression of the gifts of the Spirit. It's when you get filled with the Spirit, but then it's just so full that it bubbles out. It's like Mike said, we get it all, but we got to keep being filled every day because if you're a good Christian, it leaks. If you're not leaking, you need to punch a hole somewhere. We need... To leak the Holy Spirit. You know, doesn't the Bible say, our cup runneth over? Doesn't it have to come out of us? Am I still following my note? I think it's clear from Scripture that we are filled with the Spirit at salvation. I believe it also filled that clear that we need to be continually filled. Because if we're doing our job, we definitely leak. We've got to find that balance. Now, I want to tell you something. The argument on the one side against tongues. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. This is the scripture that the people on that side of that room decided shows that the gifts went away because when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will pass away. And they use this to say, this was a childish toy, put it away. They say, this was in part, and it went away in like 19, or not 1970, in 70 A.D. when we received the new canon. But the problem is, here's what I can't understand. If the tongues ceased and went away when we received the New Testament, then why is the New Testament so full of telling us to pray in the Spirit, speak in tongues, use the gifts, don't despise miracles, don't despise healings, quench not the Spirit? If they went away when we got the book, then why does he talk in the book and tell us to keep using them? If it was a childish thing to put away, then why did Paul always say, I wish you all prayed in the Spirit like I do. And, and uh, 1 Corinthians 14.8 says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. 
In 1 Corinthians 14.39, it says, Do not forbid the speaking in tongues. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. The problem is, when that which is perfect is come, the same verse says, but when we are face to face, we see darkly now, but when we're face to face, it will be clear. And what this is saying is when Christ returns, the let, let me explain what speaking in tongues is. That's why people say decently in order, and all you guys are jibber-jabbering. And, you, and the Bible says clearly, by two or three only, and you must have an interpretation. Let me tell you something. The gift of tongues, here's what it is. It's God speaking to us. God does not give the gift of tongues for you to speak to yourself. When God has a message corporately for a group of people, the gift of tongues is used as God speaking to us. And the reason it's in a language you can't understand so you don't corrupt it. I've heard people say, you know, I got a word from the Lord from you, for you. And they come up and they lift up their hands and they do jibber-jabber and then they go. And then they rattle off the, you know, God gives you a word and you deliver a paragraph, you know. Here's the way that works. God may say, I want you to go tell this woman over there, mayonnaise and Tuesday. And that makes no sense at all to you. That's fine because maybe those two words will mean something deeply to her and minister to her. But we're going, that's stupid. I can't say that. So they go, okay, I got a word from God for you. God said to go next Tuesday and buy some mayonnaise and give it to that guy over there. And And you done screwed the whole thing up because you added your brain into it. That's why there is a gift of tongues. The gift of tongues comes from God as a message to us. And you deliver it in a tongue and someone else gets the interpretation. You want to know how the interpretation works? He's standing there and he hears this guy speaking in the language that he speaks. And he just quotes exactly what he heard. That's a miraculous gift. But I want to tell you something. It's not nearly as prevalent as people think. I want to read another scripture to you. First, let me tell you, in Daniel, part of their argument, here's the problem I have with that argument about about the Corinthians' argument. Tongues will cease. Prophecies will cease. What about knowledge? Has it ceased? Why would they give us the Bible, that which is perfect, and tell you, you don't need knowledge? I think the Bible's here to give you more knowledge, not to tell you that it has ceased. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of times. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. This is telling me until Christ returns, knowledge will increase. It will not cease while we're here on the earth. But in Corinthians, they say that tongues have ceased. And prophecies have ceased. That's their argument. Because we got the New Testament, we don't need tongues and prophecies. And I say, what about knowledge? And they go, well, we're not going to talk about that. Because it just, right there in their own scripture, it debunks their argument. But when Christ comes, the reason we don't need prophecy when Christ comes is because we're face to face. Why would God whisper something in your ear and tell him to tell the rest of the room when he's sitting there with you? He can just tell you all. We don't need tongues because God will tell us right there. When that which is perfect is come is when Christ returns. And that's when tongues will cease. But I want to explain something, and this is the main reason why I took this assignment tonight. It's an issue that people that are not of the camp of gifts of the Spirit operating, they don't understand. And to be honest with you, over the last 27 years that I've been a believer and operating in the gifts as best as God will allow me, I've known thousands of people 
that operate in the gifts, and they don't understand this either. And then when I tell them, they go, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. The gift of tongues, like I said, is a message from God to us. But there's another manifestation that gets lumped together with it. And it's what you've often heard. Have you ever heard of a prayer language? Praying in the Spirit. The Holy Ghost prayer. This is a whole separate thing. This is a prayer language that you receive and it's for you speaking to God. Um, prayer language is us speaking to God. Uncorruptible prayer, that's another thing I've heard. And that's the reason it's an uncorruptible prayer. Your pure spirit, which is no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives within you, that's your spirit praying to God without your flesh getting in the way. It's kind of like your spirit wants to pray and you're going, oh, I feel this heavy burden. I want to pray to God. And so you're, you're going with what's good and you're going, God, those starving kids in Africa, we got to find a way to feed them and bring water to, to them and, and the children in Darfur. And, uh, and I'd like cherry cake for my wedding. And it'd be great if somebody would give me a ride over there. It'd be even better if you gave me a car. Next thing you know, you're done praying for spiritual things and your flesh is corrupting the prayer. I could use a better violin. That old one squeaks. So the reason we pray in the Spirit is so your spirit prays for spiritual things and your flesh doesn't get in the way. Speaking in tongues is God speaking to us. Praying in tongues is your spirit praying to God. Now, I want to give you some scripture here. In Romans 8, 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us with our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's your prayer language. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 and 15 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in the understanding. It is clear that this is a God calling us to two kinds of prayer. Pray with your intellect. Pray with your language that you know and understand. But pray in the spirit also. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. It also says in 1 Corinthians 14.15, says, I will sing in the Spirit, and I'll sing in the understanding also. You know the difference in that? The songs that John did before, that's singing in the understanding. The songs he's going to do later are singing in the Spirit. I'm just kidding. He's not going to do that. I ask him to, and he goes, I don't know what it is. You know, if you turn to the book of Jude, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But you, dear friends, be building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So speaking in tongues is a message from God, and praying in tongues is a message to God. People on both sides should Spend some time medica meditating on medicating. Ooh, Freudian slip. People on both sides should spend some time meditating on 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 11. I'm going to read that real quick. Therefore, I want you all to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So don't tell me that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Because if you're not saved, you can't say Jesus is Lord. And don't tell me that the tongue talkers on the other side are talking by way of the devil because they profess Jesus is Lord. We need to get along. There are different kinds of gift, but the same spirit that dis distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To everyone there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to one a message uh, of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between gifts, between the Spirit's, to another speaking in different kind of tongues, and still to yet another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one as He determines. I think both sides of the room could learn a lot from this. Do not despise speaking in tongues, but everything decently in order. For those that don't believe, listen to the first part. Do not despise speaking in tongues. To those that do believe in this, listen to the second part. Everything decently and in order. You know, the Bible says that the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need for you. The heart can't say to the hand, get away from me. We all work together. God has given you a spirit of faith even if you don't have the spirit of tongues. And to you that speak in tongues, God has given you a spirit of tongue and given her the spirit of faith. All of our gifts work together, and that's why we jointly together are the body of Christ. Do not despise speaking in tongues, and do not get puffed up if you do. And that's all I wanted to say. God bless you all. If there's any questions, we can have a discussion here. Oh, and and don't forget the barbecue. Um, I think Mike's going to come answer all the questions. Is that right? No. No, do we have any, anybody have any questions or you want to uh, tell me I'm an idiot? No, I'm not going to open the door for that. Never mind. Any, any questions? Oh, good. This was good. Mike has a question. Um. When I pray in tongues, yeah, when I pray in the Spirit, I can pray in the Spirit when I want to, and I can stop when I don't want to. And You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. I want to tell you something. Um, I was in a prayer group before church this morning. We had four of us, and we all prayed our hearts out. It took like six minutes. And I thought, How, how's this going to last in English? That's why I need a prayer language, because I pray in the Spirit. When I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to God. And when I am talking to you, I'm talking to God, too, at the same time. Because I need that. I need that constant commune. I was in a, um, a group one time, and we would go out and witness on the streets and just pray with people and stuff. And the guy says, we're going to hit the streets at 7. Let's all meet at my house at 6, and we'll all get prayed up. And I'm going, What? He yelled, yeah, come to my house at 6 o'clock. We'll get prayed up and we'll hit the streets at 7. And I'm going, what if I meet somebody on the way there that needs Jesus? Sorry, I'm not prayed up. Will you be here in an hour? We need to stay prayed up. You need to stay connected to the Holy Spirit 24-7. There's a bit, and like I said, there's a difference between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. I can pray it in tongues at the drop of a hat. I can decide when to start. I can decide when to stop. Speaking in tongues is another thing. And and I'll be honest with you, and I've been a Christian for like 27 years. I have probably spoken tongues once. And I don't see a whole lot. I see a lot of it that I'm going, that's not God, that's not God, that's And all of a sudden, oh, that's God. Prophecy. I've seen a lot of prophecy that's false prophets. It just hurts a lot. Occasionally you see one that's weird. I want to tell you about the one time I was speaking in tongues. It freaked me out. I was standing in church. I had been praying, and I had my hands up in the air, and I was quiet. All of a sudden, I quit praying, and I'm listening. The whole church got quiet, and I heard this tongue, and it was beautiful. And I'm going, oh, my God, that's God. I can hear that one. And and I did the Holy Ghost cheat. It's where you open your eye to, to see who's doing it. And when I opened my eyes... I was freaked out because I was kneeling on the floor then, and it was me. And I started crying, and then I heard this come from the other side of the room, an interpretation of it.
that's the only time I've ever operated in the gift of speaking in tongues. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quote, spirit-filled, whatever that means. I have my prayer language, but I, I wouldn't say that I speak in tongues. I, I can't hear you real good. Come this way. So I wanted to ask you about interpretation of tongues. Okay, that's the gift of the <laughs> You're speaking into the holder. That's okay. It's in tongues. They can all hear it. Okay. Interpretation of tongues. Because it was in the scripture. Yeah. And then you also just said somebody interpreted what you said. So could you understand what you were saying? No, I couldn't. And how is that I think it's important that that you differentiate between the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And let me explain it again. Uh, This is what I see from Scripture and through the experience that I've had and other people that I know that operate in the gift of tongues. When you are... When God is speaking to the congregation and it comes... It'll come in either two ways. One, prophecy. Or two, through a tongue. The tongue comes in, the person that is speaking that, it's in a tongue. They do not understand it. They're just being obedient and delivering it. They don't know what the message is. But more often than not, when when the interpretation comes from someone else, and it always comes from, it doesn't come from the same person, it comes from someone else. As soon as they deliver it, it's like, yes, that's what it meant. It just witnesses with you. But when you're delivering the tongue, you don't understand it at all because it's in tongues. And that's because God sends it. It's like sending messages in code from one uh, troop of soldiers to another one. And then they have the guy with the book of interpretation of the code. It's kind of the same thing. It's, so it's in, not corrupted. Uh, back on the back row. Okay, let me tell you something. I can't hear very good. So if you've got a question, if you can come up here this way, I can hear it and answer it. And also, everybody else can hear you too. So anybody that has questions, come up to the mic and say it. That would be awesome. Then I'd know what I'm talking about. Or I'd know what you're talking about anyway. I would I would say number one you're not blessed or cursed either one by that. Uh, number two, in order to understand that better, I would have had to been there. But I'll be honest with you, uh, nine times out of ten, in my experience, it was just emotionalism. You know, okay. You know, I'm not saying you're emotional. I'm saying the guy that's delivering, because a lot of people want the the recognition and the glory of being. If you've ever been in a charismatic church, you know what I mean. Everybody wants to get up and do this. And, and, and when it comes to, like, personal prophecy, I want to tell you something. I've had, I've had prophets come and lay hands on me and say, the Lord has told me blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, that ain't from God. That ain't from God. I had a guy come to me once and say, God has said you are to move to Chicago. And the very next day, another guy came and said, God says... He wants you in New Orleans right now. And I'm going, you know, I want to tell you something. This is how I deal with personal prophecy. There is some of it that's real and some of it that's not. I want to give you an example of one. I'm sitting in a church, and in this church we had a pastor who had this habit. He said, I want your prayer to be close to your heart. So he passed out these three-by-five cards, and we would write down the thing that we are praying for and put it in our shirt pocket and carry it with us to work, to eat. Everywhere we were, we'd have our prayer right there. Well, one day we're in church, and he said, we have a prophet coming tonight to speak to us all, and we're all like, whatever, heard this before. Well, there's a couple in the church that are... They've been trying to adopt for five years. We all know what's on their card because they've tried it seven times. The adoption fell through, but they were in church anyway this night. 
And when he said, we're going to pray for people, come on up, and we're going to deliver messages from the God. Those two were the first two in line. And he came up and he says, laid hands on her, and he says, I have a message from the Lord for you. He didn't know they were married. He says, the message is no. And then he turned to the guy and he goes, I have a message from the Lord for you. Lays his hands on him and he says, the message from God is yes. And everybody goes, oh my God, he's a false prophet. Because we know they're both praying for the same thing. But they turn around, white as a sheet. She pulls her card out and her card says, God, should I give up? And he pulled his out and it said, God, should I keep pursuing this adoption? So the opposite answer was the same answer. And you talk about a goosebump moment. And I've had a few of those in my life. When you just know that you know that you know that it came from God. But I've had so much false prophecy. I, I get so sick of things like, we're going to have a prophet school. Come in, we're going to teach you all how to prophesy. That's a bunch of crap. You know, because God either calls you as a prophet or not. And if he calls you as a prophet, he tells you what to say and you say it. What they're one is I want to teach you how to act like a prophet. you got to practice prophesying. Just throw stuff out. And then they do all these feel-good things. The Lord hears your prayer, and he knows that you're struggling. They just keep pursuing. Well, yeah, you know. One day I got so frustrated with people telling me to go to Chicago and my wife to go to Indiana that I said, God, show me how to handle this. And here's a good advice for all of you. If, have, has any of you ever had someone come and say, I have prophecy for you? All right, I've had a lot of that. Here's how I believe that God wants us to deal with prophecy, personal prophecy. God says, don't ever come to me and ask me to confirm what a man has told you. Look to men to confirm what I have told you. In other words, God will put it in your heart and it's burning and aching. And then some man you've never talked to or some woman will come and say, I have a message from the Lord. And what she says is already in your heart. It's kind of like if somebody says, Something and the first you ever heard it was when he said it. That ain't God. God is a gentleman. He'll speak to you before he tells someone else to speak to you. Every prophecy I've seen that's real has been burning in someone's heart when man come to confirm God's message. God does not confirm a man's message. Man confirms God's message. That should sort it all out. So if you got false prophets, there's how you pick them out. Uh, I saw another hand. Somewhere. Are we good? All right, I'm done. Thanks. God bless y'all.